I hope you're in a good mood today. I know you went outside and it was a little frigid and all that, but that's nice, right? It's nice and crisp in the air and it is sunny. And so uh, we can't complain about that. I am from um, Western New York. If you've been around, you know that. Um, I'm from Western New York. And this, I mean, this is part of the reason that we're here, okay? We went to New York. We were there for like two weeks or like a week and a half. We were in New York for a week and a half over the Christmas break. Didn't see the sun once. Not one single time. So it's good to be here, even if it's 19 degrees, which it was this morning. Even if it's 19 degrees, still get the sunshine. So thankful for that. As we're, uh, we're kicking off a new year together, we're getting ready, as Jess mentioned in host comments, to start our groups. And we'll be starting a study through the book of Luke, the Gospel of Luke. That'll start the first week of February. So while we're preparing for that, getting ready for that, all getting signed up and, and getting ready to start that series together, and we wanted to take the first few weeks of the year and talk about what will be so formative for us this year, will define the year and has always defined the year for, for us, and that's our relationships. As our relationships goes, so our life goes. And so we want to talk about how to have great relationships, and we're doing that in Ephesians chapter 4. So if you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and get there. I've said this every week in the series, and I'll just say it again for those of you that, that haven't been here. The reality of our life is, in 2024, everything can go great Everything in your life and your career and everything can be incredible. And if your relationships are in the tank, your life is in the tank. That's just how it is. I think we know that's how it is. And, and the same, the opposite is true too, that we can go through 2024 and everything can be, I mean, we could, things could be terrible. Things, nothing could go our way in 2024. But if our relationships are strong, we will be strong. And so I want to encourage you as you're thinking about this year, I know people do resolutions and maybe you've already given up on them, I don't know. But as you're looking at this year, decisions that you're making, commitments that you're making, making commitments about how to have strong relationships is the best thing that you can do. A strong relationship with God and a strong relationship with other people. So we're going through Ephesians chapter four and talking about some ways to do that. We started off talking about being, and we're making commitments as we go. We started off committing to be people of peace. And this is broad. Now, people, this is people of peace with other believers, with our family, our friends, the world at large, and how to do that and how to be a person of peace. That was week one in this series. Last week, we talked about how to be people of unity, and we committed to be a person of unity. And we're, we're dialing it in a little bit tighter in the funnel, and we're talking, we talked last week about the God's family, the body of Christ at large, whether that's here with our church or other believers, how we are unified together, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one Father who is over all and in all and through all, okay? That's what we talked about last week. And we talked about being teammates in Christ and what that looks like and seeing other believers as teammates instead of seeing them as enemies. So that was people of unity last week. And in both of those messages, uh, we did three verses. So the first week was, was Ephesians 4, um, verses 1 through 3. Last week was 4 through 6. And then I looked at the 10 verses for this week. And last, at the beginning of the week, I looked and I saw we had 10 verses. And I saw what was in those 10 verses. And I said, what was I thinking? <laughs> I don't know how we are supposed to get through everything that I plan to get through today, but we're going to do it, okay? We're going to do it. But I have to tell you that this passage, there's a few things, there's a couple of verses in here as we go. We're going to go from verses 7 through 16. As we're going through here, there are some verses that are just like, 
Huge, okay, massive, lots of discussion around these things, and we just are not gonna have time to get into those. If we were doing a series through Ephesians, we would stop and spend some more time on those verses, um, but that's not what we're doing with this series. We're, we're getting ready for Luke coming up, and when Luke will do that. We'll spend more time in, in tighter, tighter windows, but um, we're gonna have to look at the overall overarching principle that we see here in Ephesians chapter four as we go through the passage today. So for those of you that are really passionate about some of these verses or spaces in here, just give a little bit of grace in there as we get to them. We're going to do the best that we can, and we are going to get through it, and we are not going to make our children's workers stay all day long. That's my, that is my commitment. All right, so uh, we're going to start in Ephesians chapter 4. If you want to get there in your Bibles, um, Ephesians chapter 4, starting in verse 10. I'm going to break this up into two sections, um, 7 through 10, and then um, on from there. So uh, verses 7 through 10, well, just giving you a little bit of time to get there if you're turning in your Bible or opening it on your app. Verse 7, but to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, he says, when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. Now this, quote, he ascended. What does it mean but that he also first descended into the lower parts of the earth? He who descended is also the one who ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. All right, we're going to stop here and talk about these few verses first because they could be a little bit confusing. What does this mean? The gifts have been given according to the measure of Christ's gift. What is this, what is this, this quote that he's making from the, the Old Testament and why does he put this stuff in parentheses? So it's a little, it's a little, little dense and it could be a little confusing here. Um, first of all, at the beginning of this, he says, but it signals that he is making a change of subject or a change of direction. In the first six verses, he's talked about all the unity and all believers together and what we all hold in common, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, and all of that that we discussed. When he says, but, he's shifting now to talk about you and me as individuals. So we're going from the, from the group, from the universal uh, view to an individual view. This is for each one of us. He says, each, to each of us, grace, or the, worst, the word here that he uses is the word charis, so grace or a gift, a free gift, an unearned gift is given according to the measure of Christ's gift. And this is a different word for gift that easier. It just means generally something that is given to someone. It could be something earned as well. So a grace is given to us according to Christ's gift. That's a little confusing. What is he talking about? Well, first of all, um, the key to understanding verse 7 is what he says in verse 8. So this, this quote that he pulls in in verse 8 is from Psalm 68, okay, where he quotes and he says, when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. And just a second, I want to I read from, from Psalm 68. But um, he says, and then he has this parentheses section. And the parentheses section is just to say, Psalm 68, even though in its immediate context, it was talking about King David, Paul is saying Psalm 68 is also talking about Jesus because Jesus is the one who ascended. And how he didn't have to ascend unless he first descended to the lower parts of the earth. So what he's saying is Jesus came here to earth. When he says he descended, he's not saying he went to hell or anything like that. He came here to earth and then he ascended and was rewarded for that, okay? So now, so that's why he has the parentheses there. He wants us to know Psalm 68 is about Jesus as much as it is about um, David. So let's go to Psalm 68. Psalm 68, verse 18, that he quotes says, You have ascended on high. You have led captivity captive 
you have received gifts among men. Now, if you're paying close attention to the details, as I do, if you're a nerd like I am, you might read Psalm 68 and realize that's not what Paul said. There's a, there's a, there's a very key difference. Paul said, his, his quote was, when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive, check, and gave gifts to men. But Psalm 68 says, you've ascended on high, you've led captivity captive, you have received gifts from men. He said, those are opposites. Yeah, so first of all, Paul knew they were opposites. He didn't make a mistake. He didn't misquote Psalm 68. First, we need to understand that Paul is being led by the Spirit as he writes this letter, and the Spirit led him to make this change. This change, though, and this is, this is an important understanding, and it helps us understand verse, uh, the verse that comes right before it in 7. This change would not have thrown anybody for a loop in Paul's day. It throws us for a loop because of how we think about giving and receiving. Would not have thrown them for a loop to switch the verb here, essentially. Because the custom was, especially going back to the times of King David, the custom was when a good king received a gift from someone or when a, when a king brought home spoils for, from war, whatever it may have been, when a good king received a gift, they would distribute that gift to the kingdom. For a king, in their context, a good king, giving, receiving and giving were the same. So the king gives to the kingdom out of the riches that they've received. So when Paul changes the verb here on purpose to make a point, and he says, when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men, what he's insinuating to everybody who's reading, this is what they would have understood, what he's insinuating to them is Jesus has received reward. Jesus has received honor and glory and power because he descended and then ascended and he is now giving gifts to us out of those riches. And this is such a beautiful thing because when we think about spiritual gifts, which is where we're going here, when we think about spiritual gifts and the things that God graces us with, we need to understand that Jesus is giving us those things out of his wealth and out of his splendor and out of his power that because he has received, he is freely giving to us. It is such a beautiful picture. And it gives us a deeper appreciation of the gifts that we are being given. It gives us a deeper appreciation of the opportunities and strengths and all the things that God is pouring into us so that we can serve because they are coming straight from Jesus out of his wealth. And so that's what Paul is trying to do, to get them to see the, the, the great honor that is being bestowed on them in their church where they have such a diversity of people in Ephesus, and why, which is why he has to write a lot of this letter, and where they have Jews and they have Gentiles and they have people with lots of different experiences and backgrounds. He wants them to understand the value of the gifting that, that Jesus is giving to them, which is why he sets it up this way in verses 7 through 10. <clears throat> All right, so now why are these gifts being given? What are they supposed to do with them? That's where he's going to go next. Verse 11, and he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers. That's a big verse. We're going to come back to it. I just want to read the rest of the way through our text before we do. Verse 12. For the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, 
that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. But speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies according to the effective working by which every part does its share causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. First of all, I want to say this piece of scripture is remarkable. It is, it is masterful. It is beautiful. It is brilliant. The picture of love and cohesion and teamwork and partnership that Paul is painting for these Christians in Ephesus, where there is so much strife and division and where people are coming from so many different backgrounds. He wants them to see the beauty of what can come out of this if they understand their unity first, but then understand their individuality second. All right, and that's what we need to see today, what we need to appreciate as well. So let's talk through, this is true partnership and fellowship. So let's, let's start at the top. Verse 11, and it's a doozy. He gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be uh, evangelists, some to be pastors and teachers. Entire doctoral theses have been written on this one verse. I mean, we could spend weeks talking about just this one verse. We're not going to. So we have to, we have to brush over it a little bit. There's, this is a hotly debated passage as well because people, this is often called the five-fold ministries or something like that, five-fold leadership roles or something along those lines. And there's, there's argument over which of these are still active today. So there are some people who say that, that apostleship is still active today. There are some say, no, it stopped with the apostles in Scripture. There are some who say that prophecy is still active today. And there are some that say, no, that, that ceased. There's a verse that talks about it ceasing. They say, no, that's, our, that's ceased, and uh, it was from before, and I am not going to get into it. If you want to know what I think about that personally, feel free to send me an email. I'll let you know what I think about that. There's no debate over the, the, the last three, though, that those are still active today. So what I want to do, instead of getting into the weeds on that with you, is to just talk about what each one of these things are so that you can understand how that w- works together with um, what he's talking about in the passage. So, um, and I do want to, I do, I do feel very strongly about this. Um, I, I think that very rarely does Paul choose to give a list that is all inclusive. More often than not, the lists that Paul give in scripture, I call et cetera lists. They are lists that are not supposed to be all inclusive, but are supposed to get our wheels turning on the kinds of things that God does. When, he, when Paul lists the fruit of the spirit in Galatians chapter five, I don't think those are all of the fruits of the spirit. Those are some examples of the fruit of the spirit. When he lists, um, when he lists uh, uh, spiritual gifts in Ephesians, uh, 1 Corinthians 12, which we're going to look at some more today, when he lists those there, it's, those aren't all of the spiritual gifts. Those are some of the spiritual gifts. They're examples that get our wheels turning on how God might grace us in order to do what he wants us to do. And so I think the same thing is true here with this list of five things, but these are five great examples, okay? So let's talk about what each one of them are, because we don't use these terms necessarily uh, that much today. So first of all, an apostle is somebody who is a delegate or a messenger, it's someone who is sent on a mission by someone else. So you think about the apostles in the, in the New Testament. They are sent on a mission by Jesus. They are, they are delegates on Jesus' behalf. So that's what an apostle does. Uh, they are sent forth with orders. The second thing he mentions is a prophet. A prophet is somebody who is moved by God to foretell a future. 
Now, that might be a certain future. This is going to happen. Or it might be a conditional future. This is going to happen if you continue to do this or if you don't do that. And so prophecy can take on both of those forms, but it is speaking on God's behalf about something in the future. An evangelist is a bringer of good tidings or a herald of salvation. An evangelist is somebody, in our case, who shares the good news. And this is truly a gift. I've seen some people that were absolutely clearly gifted as evangelists. They just had the ability to communicate the gospel in a clear and compelling way without being emotionally manipulative that moved people to respond to the gospel. And it's really powerful to experience that gift. The fourth one is, uh, the, is pastor. And this one I want to spend a little bit of just a moment on because, you know, this is actually my title. Okay? So uh, lead pastor is my title. Um, lead pastor, which means there are other people here that pastor. But I think that for a long time I had a misconception about this word and that, that it's broader than, than I used to give it credit for. When I would think about someone who is a pastor, I would generally think about someone who's really good at caring for people, like in a loving way, somebody who is, who is softer, um, somebody who, you know, did a lot of hospital visits or prayed for people or would call people or, um, you know, I thought about somebody who was a full hugger. That's who I thought of when I thought a pastor is a full hugger. They come in with both arms, right? Uh, not, not a side hugger. You know, that's not pastoral. Fist bumper. Nope, that's not pastoral. Like I figured that was, that's what it meant to be a pastor or to be pastoral. And that's certainly a piece of it. But when you look at the word pastor that they use, it means a herdsman or a shepherd. Jesus would talk about himself this way. He called himself the good shepherd. And he said, the good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. And when we see pictures of shepherds that were painted during the Renaissance, it's always, it's always the shepherd like with the, the lamb up in his lap fixing a broken leg or something. You know, that seems to be the picture that we get. And that's a piece of it for sure. But when you think about them then and what, what they would have thought when they heard shepherd or herdsman, that's not the picture they would have had. The picture they would have had as a herdsman was actually a very a tough person, a very strong, tough person who lived out in the wilderness and whose job it was to, to protect the sheep from attacks from the outside, to provide for the sheep by making sure that they're in the right pastures and where they need to be, and who would lead the sheep where the sheep needed to go because the sheep didn't know where to go in that case. So a, a shepherd in their case was a protector, was a leader, and was a provider and a caretaker at the same time. All of that wraps up. So actually now when I think about this word pastor, when I think about my role, which relieves me a little bit because I am not a full hugger, okay? Uh, you probably already know that, but like I've never, I've always worried that I wasn't a good enough pastor because I, I didn't have that sort of thing to me. Um, uh, and so not that I won't hug. I, listen, it's not that you can't offer a hug. I will hug you if you want to. I just... <laughs> I don't want to, but that's, that's, that's fine. <laughs> yeah, so, but, but, but for a broader view of the pastor, the pastor's job is to protect, to care for, to man, I mean, it's really like a steward. It's a stewardship role with the church to care for them, a presiding officer, a manager. So I think about the, the people in, in our church, like the trustees, okay? Our trustees is a team of five people, and they are working their tails off right now, getting things in order for this, um, the building purchase, the property purchase that we're working on, which we're getting closer to. And as soon as that's locked in, we're going to, we'll, we'll share more. But 
But they've been looking at, at budgets and financials and, and building plans and contracts and all this stuff. And they're doing all this because they want to do the work behind the scenes to provide for the church and take care of the church's spiritual needs and create a place for us to do that. So they're, they are performing pastoral duties even as they're going through all of those details and things. So it's just a broader understanding of what it means. I see Reed, I see Reed smiling at me up there. Uh, <laughs> broader understanding of what it means to, to, to be a pastor or to 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 uh, have this gift. And then um, last is a teacher. And a teacher is what it sounds like it is. A teacher is an instructor. It's somebody who, um, <clears throat> who instructs. And this is a, a term, this actual word that Paul used is a word that was often used of Jesus as, as a, a noun, a title. Uh, it's the word uh, didaskalos. And they would come up to Jesus and say, teacher. That's the same word. Okay, so there's somebody who instructs. And leads. These all, all five of these, these are leadership roles and gifts. They're leadership roles and gifts. And you may have those and I may have those as well. Leader, what are leaders supposed to do with those gifts? Verse 12, he said, for the equipping of the saints, for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. These gifts are supposed to be used for the benefit of the church. The benefit of the saints, he uses the word saints, but for, the, for other believers. Oftentimes, I'm afraid these gifts get used or misused for personal growth or for personal benefit or for organizational development instead of people development. And that's a shame when that happens because God gives us these gifts and then we can use them for what we choose to use them for. And we want to use them for the right things. And so he said, these are equipping and edifying gifts. To equip means to outfit or to, to give people the resources. In this case, these gifts are, are supposed to be used to give the church the resources and opportunities and to equip them with what they need in order to do the ministry God has called them to do. And so all of these should be used for those reasons. And then he said it's also for edifying. And edifying is not a word we use a whole lot, but in, if you think of an edifice, that's another word for a building. Edifying is building up. That's what it is. So we are supposed to be building up the church, creating opportunities, resourcing. That's what leadership gifts are supposed to be used for. And then when you do that, as we look through the scripture, what happens is everybody gets opportunities to use their gifts, whatever they may be. Whatever God gifts you with, you have the opportunity to do that through the way you're being equipped to do that. And it's this beautiful thing that happens within the church. As we all start to use our gifts, whether those are leadership gifts or not, we all start to use our gifts for each other's benefit. And that's what he describes in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, which I mentioned earlier. We're gonna spend a little bit of time in 1 Corinthians 12, if you wanna turn there. But he talks about the individual gifts to the Corinthians. He doesn't get into that as much here with the Ephesians, but he talks about it with the Corinthians. And so I wanna read a few verses here. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. There are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are differences of ministries, but the same Lord. And there are diversities of activities, but it is the same God who works all in all. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. So what he's saying is all of us can receive gifts, graces from God, spiritual gifts, they are to be used for the benefit of the church and the body of Christ. 
right? Both of those things are supposed to happen. We receive gifts, and then we use them for the benefit of the body of Christ. There are some people who never, never look for the gifts that God has given to them. They never develop the gifts God has given to them. They never ask God, what do you want to grace me with? What do you want to gift me with? And so they miss out on God's gifting in their life. And then there are some people who receive the gifts, who receive gifts from God, and they use them for their own benefit and for their own growth and their own wealth and their own elevation and their own power and their own prestige and all that kind of stuff. So if we want to walk as the body of Christ the way we're supposed to, we need to not only be open to receiving gifts from God and be looking for what those are, but then also commit them to using them for the benefit of the body of Christ. And by the way, when I say the body of Christ, I am talking about our church, but I'm talking about a bigger picture as well. It's not just here. It doesn't have to be here with this body. It could be with the larger body of Christ as well in a different way. And so, but we are all supposed to be doing that. Later in verse 11, he says, but one and the same spirit works in all these things, distributing to each one individually as he wills. If I can pause for a second, this is a really important verse. I think it takes the pressure off of us a little bit because I am not responsible for your gifts and I am not to compare my gifts to your gifts at all. He gives gifts to me as he wills and it's not better or worse than the gifts that he chooses to give to you. They are all the same. They are all, we need all of them. We need diversities of gifts. We need people with leadership gifts. We need people with other personal one-on-one gifts. We need all kinds of gifts. And so it's not better, worse, no comparison, nothing like that. He distributes each to each as he wills. That's his choice. Verse 12, for the body, as the body is one and has many members, but all the members of that body being many are one body, so also is Christ. For by one spirit, we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and have all been made to drink into one spirit. So even though we're all receiving different gifts at different times and we're using them in different ways, we are all doing it for the same purpose and we are all united as one body. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father who is over all and in all and through all. And then in verse 27, now you are the body of Christ and members members individually. And God has appointed these in the church, first apostles, second prophets, third teachers. This is why I say that the, I think Ephesians 4.11 is an et cetera list. He doesn't, what doesn't he include here? He, now he gives three things, apostles, prophets, and teachers, but he doesn't include pastors and he doesn't include evangelists. So he's just giving ideas and getting the, getting the ideas rolling. After that, miracles, then gifts of healing, helps, administrations, variety of tongues. Here are some ideas of how God can grace us. Are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, are all workers of miracles? Do all have gifts of healing? Do all speak in tongues or with tongues? Do all interpret? Of course, the answer is no. <laughs> no, there, it's, it's not that every single believer has this one gift or whatever. The one, the one gift every believer has is salvation through Jesus Christ. But these graces that we receive individually are going to be different for all of us, which is why there's, there's no good way to like, there's no good way to quantify this or to tell you what your gifts are or to, to, to say something that's going to lead every single person in here to go right now to go, oh, that's what my gift is. Um, they have, you can go online and there are, there are like gifts assessments and things and, and, and those are good. Those are going to get you in the, in the right direction or point you in the right direction. But oftentimes I think they're based on like closed lists. Um, like here are the gifts that are listed in scripture. So these are the ones, oh, you have the gift of administration. And it's like, yeah, kind of, but maybe it's a little different than that, you know? So I think that there's, 
There's individuality in this for every single one of us, which is why we need to be pursuing this individually on our own. What are the gifts that I've been given? He said, does everybody have the same gifts? No. No. But we're all united. And when we choose in our unity to use the individual gifts God has given to us for each other's benefit, it creates something really powerful. It creates partnership in the gospel. It creates fellowship in the gospel where it's like, I'm doing, I'm doing my part. And there's, like, there's, there's like a meme about that. I'm doing my part. I'm doing my part. I'm doing my part. You know, we're all confident that we are doing what we are supposed to be doing and then trusting that others are doing what they're supposed to be doing. And it grows together and builds together into this really beautiful thing in the church. Partnership. Each of us doing what we are graced and called to do for the good of the body. He said, this is according to, this is from Ephesians 4, according to the effective working, effective working by which every part does its share. Meaning, I'm doing what I know I am gifted and called to do, and you will do what you are gifted and called to do, and to be confident in that. And not to compare or anything like that, but just to do what we are called to do. And then the body works the way it's supposed to work. And so each week in the series, we've been making a commitment. We've committed to being a person of peace. We've committed to being a person of unity. And today, this is the commitment. I will commit to being a person of partnership. I will commit to being a person of partnership. Now, part of my role as a pastor is to create opportunities and to develop opportunities within our church body for you to do these things, which is why we have lots of opportunities for you to serve. But the reality is, and Jess does such an awesome job as the ministry director of coordinating this and recruiting and building systems and all the things that we do, we've, we've created quite a structure, quite an organization here. But the reality is, <coughs> excuse me, the reality is there's no way that we could organize or structure enough to, for you all to live out your gifts and your calling through a ministry that is organized by our church. There's just no way to do that. And so it might be that your gifting and calling fits into one of those things, or it might be that your gifting and calling exists outside of those things, and so you just need to have a personal ministry within our church uh, that you just live out and fulfill on your own, or it may be that God has a ministry and a calling for you outside the organization of this church, and it's to other believers within the, the greater community or at other churches or whatever it may be. But just because, just I, I, this is something I feel, I've noticed over the years and I feel strongly about it. At times I've felt guilty because I'm like, oh, that person has a great gift, but we just can't, we don't have the capacity to organize a ministry around that gift or to resource it or whatever. And so I always feel bad like I'm letting that person down. But the reality is that that person, if they're gifted that way and that ministry doesn't exist within the church, that God intends for them to fulfill that ministry a different way. And they have to sort of break outside of the mold to say, how does God want me to do this? Um, one of the things that was one of the sort of journeys I had to go on, I was part of a church for a long time where I was preaching and I was preaching every single week and working with other pastors and writing sermons and developing our skills and all that kind of stuff. And it was fantastic. Um, but then things changed um, with that church. And all of a sudden I found myself in a situation at another church where I was not preaching regularly and where, where I was preaching, you know, like maybe four or five times a year. And I was really struggling with how do I live out the, the gifting and the calling that I feel that I have when I don't have the, uh, the organizational opportunity to do that the way that I used to. 
And God used that time to show me there are other ways to exercise those gifts outside of that one environment. And I grew a ton during that time. And so as you're thinking about whatever it is that, that may be your gift or your calling, and it's something that you need to pray through and really seek out, and you can look through your past and see how God may have gifted you in the past, and, oh, man, he made me really good at this, or I really love doing this, or I feel like this is part of what it is for me. When I'm doing this thing, I really feel like I'm operating at a higher level than my natural capacity to do that thing. And God does that with me. And that's where I can see the spirit really lifting me way past what I could do on my own. And so you start looking for those things and you start by looking in your past. And then you look at the opportunities and things that are in front of you and say, how can I live this out? And sometimes, by the way, you just got to give some things a try and then see what God does with it. And so, like, I've, I've heard of plenty of people who are serving children's ministry who didn't really want to do it to begin with, but at some point there was a need or they were asked, and so they said yes. And then once they got into children's ministry, all of a sudden they saw God doing incredible things. So sometimes you just have to get in there and expose yourself to it to see that. All of our journeys in that are going to be different, which is why you need to pray through it, and you really need to seek it, really need to seek it out and say that I'm going to be a person of partnership I'm going, to, I'm going to not only benefit from the body of Christ, but I'm going to contribute to the body of Christ, whatever that, whatever that looks like for you, all right? And, and here's the key, when I do it, where I do it, however I do it, I am going to do it in and out of love. I'm going to do it in love, and I'm going to do it out of love. It is going to be love that drives me to do this, love for God with all my heart, with all my soul, with all my strength, with all my mind, and loving my neighbor as myself. And so Paul wraps it in that in Ephesians chapter four, when he says, he says, you're doing all this. You got all these leadership gifts, right? He talks about in, in, in chapter 11 or verse 11, but he says, he's got all these gifts. He said, speaking the truth in love. Now there's a verse that gets absolutely used and abused and plucked up out of its context. And people say nasty things and they're like, well, the Bible says speak the truth in love. <laughs> it's like, yeah, well, A, that wasn't loving. So let's start there. And B, that's not the truth it's talking about. <laughs> the, the truth that's being talked about in that verse is the truth of the word of God. It's the truth of the gospel. That's what these, these five leadership roles are supposed to be doing. And so speaking that truth in love, the whole thing builds itself up. And then the, the last thing that he said, he causes the growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. That, is, that should be the, the wrap around all of this is that we're doing it because of love, through love, in love, to create the growth of the church and the, and the, the, the growth of the body of Christ in love. And so he goes there in Ephesians chapter four. He also goes there in 1 Corinthians 12, which we just read about the individual gifts. And this is how he finishes um, in chapter 12, last verse of 12, and then we're gonna go into ch um, chapter 13. So he's talked about all these gifts, right? All these individual gifts and everybody doing their part and doing their share. And then he says in verse 31, but earnestly desire the best gifts. And yet I show you a more, a more excellent way something even better, something even higher. And then into chapter 13. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not love, I've become sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains but have not love, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, but have not love, it profits me nothing. 
So the point Paul is making, he makes it in Ephesians, he makes it here, is that even if we're exercising these gifts, if we're not doing it because of love, if we're not doing it because we have seen the love that God has sent to us, if, we, if we're not doing it because of the love shown to us by Christ on the cross, paying for our sins and rising again, if we're not doing it because we love God with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind, with all of our strength, if we're not doing it because we're committed to loving our neighbor as ourselves, then it means nothing. But, but, when we appreciate the love God has shown to us, the love that Jesus has shown us on the cross, we put our faith in Jesus Christ for salvation, and then we say to God, my life is yours. I love you with all my heart, with all my soul, with all my mind, with all my strength. I love my neighbor as myself. Now, give me what you want to give me so I can do what you want me to do. When we seek that out and then we step into it boldly and faithfully and in love and start serving the body of Christ, the beauty of the fellowship and partnership and teamwork that happens within our life and within the church is truly amazing and it is truly inspiring. And it's an incredible thing to be a part of. And I got to tell you, I've, I've been able to experience some of that this week without going into detail. You guys, I've mentioned it before, but my mom's having surgery. She's going to California and uh, that's a burden. That's a burden on my parents. They wondered whether they make the right decision to go so far away for the surgery. This is the best doctor in, in the country, maybe the world, that does this surgery. But it's very sensitive surgery. And uh, so they made the decision, and they made that with some fear because they didn't know how things were going to work out as far as travel and care and all that kind of stuff. And the most incredible things have happened. Most incredible things have happened over the last week, and I'll share more in detail at, at some point, um, for believers who have opportunities or who have whatever to step up and help and to make it easier for them. And we've had people that have offered to help with plane flights um, so that, that that financial part is not a burden. One of the biggest things that was a concern for us was housing while we were out there because they, they have to be there for three weeks. I'll be out there for, for most of that with them. Um, but finding a place for us to be where mom can recover and all that, that's not easy to find. And through a crazy course of events where, where believers talk to believers and, 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 and made connections, uh, we're going to be staying right next to the hospital in a house that is going to be completely free. Um, and my parents aren't going to have to worry. My parents aren't going to have to worry about the cost of that. They're not going to have to worry about feeling being far away from the hospital. They're not going to have to worry about. Um, they're not going to have to worry about being settled or comfortable or having enough space or any any of that stuff. And it's because believers saw that there was a need with another their brother or sister in Christ. And this isn't just something that happens with me, by the way. That happens in our church all the time. Um, are just caring for each other, and when people care for each other truly in love. There's, there are a few things in life that are more meaningful and more fulfilling and more impactful than that. And so every single time that we ask God to show what the gift is that he wants to give to us, and then we faithfully use that to help serve and build up, build the church, that we get to be a part of that. So whatever that is in your life and whatever it means in your life, chase after it. Ask God what, what it is and chase after it with all of your heart and whatever it is and wherever it goes and wherever it takes you, follow faithfully so that the, the body of Christ can be edified in love. All right. all right, let's pray together. Father, we love you so much and we are so thankful that you, you take us, people who are, are broken, and you offer to restore us. 
and begin the process of, of revamping our lives back into what we were created for. We thank you, Jesus, that you were willing to come and to descend and to come here and to give your life on the cross in our place. And so many of us in the room have believed in you for salvation. I pray that someone may put their faith in you for salvation today, Jesus, believing that you died in their place on the cross and you rose again on the third day, that they would trust you for salvation today and join us in this family, that we in this family would be committed to one another, the body of Christ as a whole, not only here in this church that gathers every single week and does so many things together, uh, but the, the church as a whole, our brothers and sisters across the world. And God, you have a plan, you have a desire for us, you have things you want us to do and to accomplish and to, to work at. And in order to do those things in your way, you give us the Spirit, and the Spirit leads us, guides us, equips us, prepares us. And when we are walking in that and we're doing that, God, this is, it's just so beautiful. We experience something that we don't experience anywhere else in life. We experience um, a level of community and love and, and faith and connection that we just don't get anywhere else. But, but it takes us doing what you call us and lead us to do and equip and empower us to do. And so, God, I pray for everyone here and that, that in this moment, all of us would be reflecting and that, God, you'd be speaking to us individually through the power of the Spirit to show us where you've gifted us, to confirm the gifts that we already recognize or to show us new ones or to show us where you want us to, to jump in and do something and, and watch you work, that you would move in our hearts, in our minds, in our lives right now so that we can see what that ministry looks like and how you're gonna empower us to do it that you'd show us where you want to use those things, if it's part of something that's, that's already organized here in the church, whether it's outside of that, whether it's something um, even outside of the, uh, the, the sort of walls of our church, whatever it is, wherever it is, that you'd confirm and show that to us now or that you begin the process of revealing that to us, even if it's just a first step. And that as we recognize those things and we walk faithfully in them, that we'll see the body of Christ built up, edified in love, joined together, moving toward the, the pure and holy and beautiful image of Jesus as you're transforming our lives and the lives of so many other people around us. And so as we do this, God, we, we do this in love. Because you've loved us, because you get sent your son and, and every gift that you give to us is just icing on the cake. God, the, the pure, the truest gift is the gift of Jesus Christ. And he's enough, but we thank you so much for all that you pour on top of that for your honor and for your glory. So help us to continue focusing on him and moving forward in his name as we build this family together. It's in your name we pray, amen.